0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. I see a place where God's people come together to truly be God's people. That is what we are like as a church. But you know... The re, one of the reasons we are that way is because we get enough junk out in the world. I mean, we go to, to, to work sometimes and it, it just is hard. We go to school. We go do all kinds of things. Sometimes our families are difficult. I want this to be a place that truly is a haven. Not because of the building, although we want the building to be comfortable, but it's because of the people. We want the people that are in this place. To love each other, to be on even ground and even footing to where you and I are simply working together as co-laborers and as friends and as family for the kingdom of God. That's what I see for this place. My question is this. Have you ever imagined or have you ever thought really deeply about what the church is and about what the church is supposed to do? Ever thought real deeply on that? You know if you've been a part of a church a long time you've heard a message before about the mission of the church the vision of the church purpose of the church and you might be saying to yourself man this is kind of like like 101 level stuff isn't it and the answer to that is an unequivocal yes here's why when a football team loses the very next day that they go to practice what does the coach do the coach, if he's a good coach, will go back to the fundamentals, back to the basics and say, this is what a tackle is. And this is why we do it. This is what a, a block is. And he goes back and he says, look, if you don't do the fundamentals right, all that fancy stuff, all those trick plays are not going to work because the fundamentals is what makes the team. And as a church, we got to remember what the fundamentals are. Last week, we went way back and talked about our history of why we are Southern Baptist and what that means. Today, I want to go a little broader and say we are a church. What does that mean? Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16. You ever heard anybody say a phrase like this? I am the church. You ever heard that? You probably, you may have said it. I've said that before. Maybe you've heard somebody to say the phrase, my church is my boat, or my church is my tree stand, or my church is a quiet walk on the beach. Can I just say that both of those sentiments are absolutely wrong. You are not the church, if it's just you. Now, you can be a part of the church, you can be a member of the church, you can be a disciple, you can be a follower of Christ, but you and you alone are not the church. Because the church is never singular. You're not the church on your boat. Even if you're on the boat with a bunch of buddies fishing. That's not the church. Why? Because the church has a specific purpose and a specific function. Now I am not speaking against being on the boat. Don't hear what I'm not saying, All right. I was there yesterday. I'll be there again this afternoon. So that is a good thing to do. But the point is. There, the, the, the church is something; it's not just whatever we want to make it. And the problem with just making church whatever we want to make it is that it dilutes the actual function and purpose of the church. So let's look at what the scripture says about the church in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Uh, I'm actually gonna, we're going to focus specifically on verse 17, but the context of this passage is this. Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? He's just throwing a softball up there, giving them an opportunity to to just take a swing. And they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus hones in. It's almost like he goes, all right, look at me, boys. Who do you say that I am? And they're kind of Look around, and Peter pipes up, he says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So in other words, Jesus was asking them, in a way he was saying, you've been with me now for a period of time, you've heard what I've been saying, you've watched what I've been doing, I've even... Allowed you to do some of what I'm doing. This is a test to see if you're catching it. If you're getting what is is going on here. Who am I? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You're the son of God. And Jesus replies, Jonah, or excuse me, uh, uh, Peter, you didn't come to this conclusion because you're smart. You came to this conclusion because God opened up your heart and revealed this to you. In other words, Jesus was saying, God is doing a work inside of you, and that work that he's doing inside of you is growing, and it's a good thing, and it's a holy thing. But the work that God is doing in you is only a small part of a much bigger picture. And so if we ask the question, what is the church, we have to really ask the question, where did the church come from, and who owns it? You know, you might be surprised to think that all the time I hear somebody ask me the question, so do you own the church like me personally? I'm thinking, not only do I not, I don't want to. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's, it's funny because the structure of what we do and who we are is really foreign to people who aren't familiar with the intimate details of it. But I don't own the church. Matter of fact, technically, legally speaking, you own the church if you're a member of the church. You are an owner-operator of the church, legally speaking, but on a spiritual basis, theologically speaking, there is one owner of the church. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you have been revealed to this by the Father in heaven, verse 18, and I also say to you. Now, in the Greek, we, we get a real clear picture of what's going on here. In the English, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But Jesus is saying, you are Peter, you are a little rock, you are a small part of something that's going on, but on the bedrock of me being the Christ, on the foundation of who I am as Jesus, the Son of God, I will build my church. Not only that, but the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He made a statement here that ought to give us reason to rejoice. Because what he said was this. The church was started by me. It's my church. I own it. I operate it. I have the sole right and responsibility to dictate and to lead as to who you are and what you do. And I will never let her die. The church will never go away. No matter how much persecution, no matter how much struggle, no matter how much much strife, the church will never die. Jesus said it this way. He said the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What does that mean? Well, he was trying to make a picture of saying that the enemy wants to kill the things of God, the devil himself, the the the, the one who is. Is the the, the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. The one who's the accuser of the brethren. The one who is the father of lies. He wants to destroy the people of God. And Jesus said that death will never be a reality to the church. Because he's, he's insinuating this. Because I am the author and the sustainer and the authoritative leader of the church when we look at that that ought to say to us well if jesus started the church if he's the head of the church and if he keeps the church and will not let the church die then there must be a reason right well the next verse tells us he says i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the messiah So that kind of gives us a glimpse into the purpose of the church. Jesus said, I've given the keys to the kingdom to the people of God. What does that mean? Well, you remember when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray? They said, hey, we we need help. Teach us how to pray. What was that prayer? You probably remember it if you were a kid in Sunday in Bible school, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy what? Kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So the kingdom of God is at the center of the church. Jesus came proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. So the message of Jesus was always about the kingdom of God. What was the kingdom of God? It's the rule and reign of God. It's a place that God initially started in the Garden of Eden. It's where Jesus is, is not only king, but he's also acknowledged and, and, uh, and, and, and honored as king. It's a place where the things of God are the norm, not the exception. But right now, we don't live in a place that looks like that, right? Right? Now we look, at, we look at a place that's been deceived. We, we live in a place that has got lies and greed and hopelessness and death and all these things. Jesus said that he is ushering in the kingdom. And then he turns that around and he says, I'm going to go back to my father. Now it's your turn to continue the work that I started. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. I need to slow down a little bit. So that is what the church is responsible for doing carrying on the work of the king for the kingdom. So if you'll turn to me with me just for a moment to the book of Acts. You might say, what is, what is the specific purpose of the church? In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, I alluded to this l- last week. Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, we We'd actually look at verse 7 and 8. Jesus has his disciples and he's, he's speaking with them and, and he's, he's kind of giving them some last words before he ascends back up into heaven. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and periods the Father has set by his own authority. He was saying that because the disciples were saying, hey, when will you establish your kingdom? See that verse six. So even they understood the kingdom said, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Although they thought that the kingdom was just Israel, God said, no, it's actually bigger than that. He said, it's not for you to know when and how, but verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are our marching orders. That is why we exist as the church, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth and everything in between of the kingdom of God and of what Jesus was all about. So that might ask the question then, what was Jesus all about? Well, he was about the kingdom, but what does it look like? Well, the kingdom restores that which is broken. The kingdom of God restores that which is fallen or that which is which is which is sick, that which is um, um, chaotic. The kingdom of God is about order and it's about hope and it's about the love of God and it's about the healing of God. So all of those things. So if you want to know why Jesus was here in Luke chapter four, he very clearly says it. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, so this is, the, this is what he was doing. He walked into the synagogue there in Nazareth and he grabbed one of the scrolls, the scroll from Isaiah, and he opened it up to the place that he read this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's it in a nutshell. And then when he read those things, he rolled up the scroll and he did the first mic drop. See, here's what's so cool. I did that in First Baptist and they were like, (laughs) what did you say? They didn't really do that. But they looked at me and, and I was like, man, this I just sorry. I just and you just graciously laughed because you got it. So thank you. I appreciate that. But the mic drop literally was the first scroll drop. And he was saying, that is the reason. Now, I'm, I'm taking you through, very quickly through this because what I want you to do is see that there's a common thread. So the church was started, was created, was, was commissioned... By Jesus himself to carry out the work or carry on the work that Jesus himself started. And that work was very specific to proclaim the kingdom of God, which is to release the prisoner. It's to, 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 to set free the one who's in bondage. It's to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So it's very specific. Now, that begs the question then, if that's the purpose of the church, if that's the nature of the church, if that's what Jesus did and expects us to be, What then is the church? Well, as I started, the church is never a single person. You can't be the church by yourself. You can be a disciple, which you should be. But the church is a group of called out ones who collect together or who who assemble together to do the work that Jesus commanded us to do. Turn now just a little bit to the right to Acts chapter 2. This is a this is a description of what the early church did. But but while you're putting your finger there, let me just remind you that the actual word church is used over a hundred times in Scripture. The majority of the times it's used, it's used in the Greek from the Greek word ekklesia. The word ecclesia is not just a church word. It's not just a Christian word. It actually has roots in Greek uh, culture, and then it has roots in Jewish culture. And in every single instance, it's about the assembly. So in the Greek culture, it means this. Those who have been called out or segregated, or the better word is those who have been summoned to meet and to assemble for a specific purpose and for for a specific time. So in Jewish culture, it often was used in terms of the synagogue, That they were assembling together. And so if you go from the the Greek culture into the Christian culture, that meaning is actually refined and actually made even more important because it's essentially the church, the ecclesia, are the ones who were called out to assemble for a particular purpose that is a holy, God-ordained purpose. That is who we are. We've been called out to assemble so that together we can fulfill the mission that God has given to his disciples. You ever notice how if you have a job to do in the backyard, when you go out and do it on your own, it takes forever. Like this, I don't know how many of you do this, but I have a pile of wood I need to chop. I don't have a fireplace, but I have a pile of wood, so I'm going to chop it and just I'm going to be Mr. Lumberjack for a little while. You know it's so hard chopping wood by yourself, or if you have stuff in the yard that you got to clean up. Maybe that's a better example. If you go out there, you just—you just—it's kind of hard to stay on track. But what if you had a couple buddies who said, "You know what? I got nothing to do. If you'll order pizza, I'll come and I'll help you." You ever notice how much faster the work gets done? And you ever notice how you whistle while you work when the when, when there's other people there, right? That was a little a shout out to the three seven dwarfs. Um well, there were seven until some of them left because they had a little split, but yes, another story. So you ever notice, though, how when you have somebody with you to do the job, not only is it more fun, but you also get more done faster. Why? Because there's always, always, always power when there's a gathering. So for the church, when we gather, there's this certain unique kind of holy power that we have because it's 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 when God's family says, you know what, together we're going to fulfill this holy calling that Jesus himself started and then entrusted to us to finish. Um, On a little side note, we have to be very careful and cautious when we speak of the church. Harshly. We ought to be very careful when we say things about the church that are either not true or just they they reveal our own um, uh, heart on the matter. And here's the reason why. I distinctly remembered the moment when on June 25th, 1994, my wife stepped into the doorway of the church in Tifton, Georgia. I remember that moment. It was 94, right? Okay, just checking. I may not remember the date, but I remember the moment. I'm just telling you. I remember that, that up until that time, I had stepped onto a stage about like this, and I was standing here, and the preacher was standing here, and I remember that all the groomsmen and the bridesmaids were walking down, and I distinctly remember I had to rent groomsmen. She had so many friends in her wedding. I was like, I don't have any more friends. I'll just... I'll just I'll just ask and whoever will do. So we had all 18,000 groomsmen and bridesmaids they were all lined up throughout the church and when they finally came down it was a ta 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 right? Maybe it wasn't that kind of a twanginess, but it was it was on the organ and and in that moment she stepped into the aisle and and there was like this glow around her. Like this woman that I'd been dating now for almost five years at the time, this woman that we had talked about marriage and we did all these planning and all this kind of stuff, it finally was there. She was about to walk down the aisle and say her vows and become my wife. Could you imagine if when she stood in the aisle and I was so excited and the aura and the glow and she started walking down and somebody over here said, ah, you don't want to marry that woman. Could you imagine what would have happened? I would have gone postal. I mean, I, I would have probably done some really ugly stuff because that's my wife. That's my woman. Don't talk about my wife that way. You can talk about all kinds of stuff, but you better watch what you say, right? I mean, that's could you imagine what Jesus thinks? When you hear all of these pundits and all these bloggers talk about the church in such a way that's oftentimes not only not true, but also very negative and very pejorative, as if we are not, as the Bible says, the bride of Christ. As if we are truly not the part of the family of God. The church. Is who Jesus died for. Because the church is the redeemed of the Lord. Those who know Christ. Those who have a relationship with him. And as such we are the bride of Christ. We ought to look at the church with much higher respect than we do now. But now listen, the church is not a place or a location. The church is the gathering of God's people wherever the church gathers. That's where the church is. And so buildings matter, but they don't matter completely. We could be in a home, we could be in a public space, we could be in here. It's the fact that we as the people of God have gathered together for the purposes, for the purpose. For the purposes that fulfill the purpose of the church. Does that make sense? And so in Acts chapter 2, here's what the early church did. The Bible says in chapter 2, verse 42... I need more hands. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, they, remember, plural, not singular, they devoted. What does it mean to devote? It means the people of God, the assembly of God, the, the purpose of God became the priority. It became the driving force of their life. They devoted themselves. In other words, the church, the people of God became the most important people in their life because it was their backbone. It was their it was their relationship. It was that which kept them going when everything in the world was against them. Of course, nowadays in our culture, being a part of a church is not that big of a deal because we have freedom of religion we don't have to ask anybody. We didn't have to sneak here. We got in our car and we drove willf willingly and, and, and flagrantly to the, to the church building. We walked in. We took our time. We have lights and signs and posters. In these days, the church was looked at not favorably. In fact, the word Christian was a pejorative term. They were given that name. They were the ones who were like Christ. Remember, Jesus was crucified He was considered an enemy of the state. He certainly was considered an enemy of the faith. Remember Saul in Acts chapters uh, 7, 8, and 9? We see the unfolding of how Saul was persecuting the church because he thought the church was going against God. So this whole mindset that we have today of just flippantly responding or being a part of a church was totally different back in these days. For them, being a part of the church was their entire life. In some parts of the world, it still is that way. Because the family that you're born with is not the family you wind up with. And it's a good thing. Because the family you wind up with is so much bigger and it's so much beautiful and it's so much more diverse. Just look around. Look to the person on your right and look to the person on your left. They probably don't look like you. Right. In fact, I'll bet you their story is not the same as your story. In this room, we have those who come from other cultures, countries, different economic statuses. We have those who were who were raised dirt poor like they had nothing They didn't even know where their food was coming from. We have those in here who were raised maybe with everything they've ever needed. Always had food, always had a big house, always had plenty of toys. We have those who were raised in a a culture that was very traditional. We have those who were raised in a a, a culture that was very free, right? I mean, my family, you threw food at the table. That was acceptable. That was actually expected. Shannon's family, if you threw food, somebody's going to lose a tooth. Not from the food. I mean, it was, I mean, you, you, I mean, right? We're different, right? People, so you have people next to you who grew up loving sports and you have people who grew up hating sports. That is a much better family than a family that's all of the same history and roots. You want to know why? Because I don't understand what it's like to be poor Until I'm around somebody who was poor or is poor. And they teach me what that life is like. There's an empathy that's grown from that. And that's a good thing. I don't know what it's like to not be a white middle class American. I'm not ashamed of being a white middle class American. But I also know that I'm not the only person on the planet. There are people who are... Of, of every nationality that I can learn from and want to learn. Let me give you a little story. So Friday I was with a group of people. We were, we were meeting about some ministry stuff. And one of the people that was invited to the meeting, he was 80, I think, 80 years old, incredibly distinguished. And when he walked into the room, I started a conversation with him. And I knew right away, the moment he started speaking, I want to spend time with this guy. So particular and articulate in his words and his viewpoint on things was different than mine. And I thought to myself, this is a gift because he sees, th- sees things that I assume and I assume totally wrong. I will get from him a whole nother perspective of life. I won't tell you a story because I'm a hope have him come speak one time. But by the way, I did set up a lunch between us three right? You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Am I, am I exaggerating any at all? I mean, this guy has got a... I actually listened to his story about what he did in life, and I'm, I'm getting smaller and smaller going, man, I am a slacker to the extreme. Just God has opened up incredible doors. The whole point is this. If I'm in a group of people who are all just like me, I don't get to grow that way. I don't get to learn that way. I want to be in a room that has such a diversity that you look at the person next to you and go, man, you are so different from me, but I love you. Because we have one common bond, and that is Jesus Christ. My friend, actually, my new friend made the statement Friday. He said, when I get to heaven, if I walk in and they say, here's the black church over here. This is the Korean church over in this corner. Here's the white church over in this corner. And here's the American church over here. He said, I'm going to leave. Because if that's all we get in the kingdom of God, I don't want any part of it. You hear what he was saying? He was saying the uniqueness of each person is what makes the body so marvelous. And yet, even in the differences, they devoted themselves. They made a commitment. ...to each other. They didn't didn't commit to a church building. They didn't commit to an ideology. They committed to each other. They devoted themselves. And we know that because they devoted themselves... ...to first the apostles' teaching... ...to the fellowship... ...to the breaking of bread... ...and to prayer. What does that tell us about what we're supposed to be doing? Well, I do think that the order is important. They have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching... They said the most important thing for us is to know what Jesus said. Know what Jesus said, because Jesus himself said, teaching them, you will be my witnesses, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So we can can invent all kinds of stuff, but if we don't go back to understanding that what Jesus said is what we obey, we've missed it. So, what did he say? Well, we know what he said based on what the word says. Now, the apostles were not teaching the New Testament because it wasn't written yet, but they were teaching the Old Testament and how the Old Testament was fulfilled by Jesus. That's what they were teaching. They were saying, you know, I remember a day when Jesus was in the temple or was in the synagogue in um, in Nazareth and he opened up a scroll and he read from Isaiah. And then he said, today, this has been fulfilled right before your very eyes. And then he did a scroll drop and the church in the room rooms. Oh, and so then the, the, the apostles say, now, what does that mean for us? The message I'm preaching today would have been the same message that they were preaching them. Because we don't come up with new content. We just replay or re, we, we, we remind us ourselves what was already said. That's the best part. We don't have to be creative in content. We might be creative in delivery, but we don't come up with anything new. It's already given to us in the book. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is a unique word. It's more than just eating fried chicken around a table. It's a genuine life on life relationship. The word is an intimate relationship. It means that you're going to be vulnerable with me and I'm going to be vulnerable with you and you're going to tell me things I don't want to hear, but I need to hear. And I'm going to listen and I'm going to get angry. But then I'm going to go, well, because they love me, they're telling me what they see is the truth and they're going to sharpen me because as iron sharpens iron, so do we sharpen one another. Amen. Amen. That's what the church is supposed to look like. That's what she's supposed to look like. They broke bread together. That means they spent time together. And the time that they spent together. Was necessary to love each other. You will never. Truly love the people in this room. Unless you faithfully. Consistently spend time with the people in this room. Never happen. As I have Been processing this for the last several weeks and I've been observing the church. Here's what I've discovered. I've discovered there's a core group of people within the church who really have a much deeper love for each other than the rest of the wholeness, the whole church. And it's not because they deserve more love or have the capacity to have more love. It's simply one thing and one thing alone. They spend more time together. That's it. They spend time together, and because they spend time together, they learn how to love each other. You know, the beautiful thing about spending time together or about about the diversity of the church is this, and you especially see it in First Baptist Church. They some of them have been together for 40 or 50 years, and they tolerate things with each other that are personality driven. Like some people are just loud and obnoxious. They walk into the room as like, uh, right? But because they've known each other so long, they understand where that person's coming from and they give them grace because that's just who they are. I'm not talking about excusing bad behavior. I'm talking about truly personality stuff. Some people are very shy. They don't say things in the room. And so because they know each other, they don't make them say stuff. And they don't assume that they're mad because they're quiet. They know that they're not mad. They're quiet because they're introverts and they just don't talk out loud. Right? But you don't know these things until you spend time with each other. This is why serving for us is so important. That's why going to uh, tomorrow to PSC, cooking and serving is such a big deal. The people that we do that with, we know them differently now. Like, I know Becky is a grill master. Man, she takes that flipper and she's like, she's the boss. I mean, just it is to the point where I'm like, I don't need to touch the grill because you got it. Now, it's hard not to touch the grill. I'll be honest with you. But you see what I'm saying? And, and, And like we didn't know about Matthew and his ability to really get into a conversation until we saw it in action. And that gave us a new, unique appreciation for it. Matter of fact, the first time Saga came back and he said, man, did you see that? He was like one of the crowd instantly. But see, through serving, you get to do this and you get to see it. If you, as as, as part of this church, are not as much of a part of it as you can be, you are robbing yourself of people to love you and you're robbing us of the ability to love you. It's a loss. We grieve that. You say, well, I'm just too busy. I get it, I know. Listen, I didn't know how busy I was until my kids left. Can I, 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 I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to just tell you, you are super crazy busy when you have kids. Beyond what I could ever have imagined it was. Everything in life changes when your house clears out. Everything. It's like, man, I, I, can, I can walk through the house now without having to jump over things. Wow, it's like, Quiet And there's not massive chaos everywhere. Wow, well, I, I don't have anything to do tonight, right? This is different. So I, I get it that busy. But even in the busyness of family, what you prioritize is what you do. And life is full of sacrifices, isn't it? I can tell you this. I'm incredibly proud of all of my kids. But one of the things that Joshua has has been doing, my son Josh, our son Josh, every single week on Saturday night, he gets on his phone and he looks for a place to worship on Sunday morning. And he's only doing that because his entire life, that's all he's known. He has known that the body of Christ is of utmost importance. And if at all possible, worshiping with the people of God is good and it's right and it's actually commanded do not forsake, uh, 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 Hebrews, right? Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves. And so he looks for a place to worship and he goes, and here's what's really cool. Here's the best part of this whole thing. I'm getting emails from people from the churches he's worshiping in. Your son came and worshiped with us and can I just tell you what a blessing he was. He's not just going to sit. He's actually serving on their greeter teams. No joke. No joke. I'm not lying. And look, you know, you know he's not perfect. We, nobody's perfect. But I will tell you that if you want that kind of a commitment to the body of Christ in your kids, you've got to have that kind of commitment and you've got to make it a priority. You've got to make it a priority. Um, I, look at, I look at the kids of... of uh, it, that's just where it is, right? Okay. So I have really gone way off of where I was supposed to be. My apologies. So everyone, verse 43. Oh, excuse me. Go back uh, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Mary said it perfectly. We are a house of prayer. Solo prayer is good. You should pray by yourself. But corporate prayer is even better. There is incredible power. There's a unique power when the people of God together pray in one mind and in one heart to ask God to do something marvelous. There is incredible power in that. And the disciples, when they prayed, God moved. God moved because they heard their prayers. I want to say to you that we are intentionally becoming more of a people of prayer and you will see that increasing as the days go by. That's why when we have a time in the service of prayer, that's what that's all about. That's why when we say, hey, give us these things so we can pray together. That's what that's all about. We will become more of a people of prayer because the power of a church is not in their preaching. It's not in their worship music and it's not in their facilities. The power of a church is in their prayer every time. So they did all these things. In verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. There was joy in the house. There was joy in the house because there was love in the house. They were, they were in awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, had all things in common. Again, there's that love. Sold their possessions and their property and distributed proceeds to all as they had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from their house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So we go back to this and we say, if that's what the early church did, that should be what we do, right? That should be what we do. Now, we live in a different culture. Every day, we're not going to be in each other's houses. It's impossible, and I don't want you in my house every day. I love you, but not that much. But we should make it a point to be together Because when the world goes crazy, the people that you can trust to hold you and to keep you are the people of God. When you get that phone call. That the results are in. And you don't have much time. It's the people of God that will come weep with you. It's the people of God who will say, Don't worry about food. We will take care of it all. It's the people of God who say, My heart breaks with you. The picture of that that will forever be permanently in my brain is when Mitch Grant was lying in the hospital on a ventilator, and the nurses so graciously at Sacred Heart said, Anybody who wants to come in and at any given time, there were 15 or 20 people in that room. Nobody knew what to say. Everybody was hoping for a miracle. But what we knew was whatever happened, we were going to do it together. That is the power of the church. So I want to invite you to be a part of the church. I want to invite you not just to be an attender, not just to be somebody who, 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 who come. Now, look, I get it. I get it. You know, life is hard. Life is difficult. All kinds of things to deal with. This is, this is not a, I'm, I'm not, I'm not casting guilt on you. I'm giving you an invitation to go deeper with the people of God. And you say, well, how do I know that what you're promising is going to happen? All I can tell you is that we're going to do the best we can do with what we've got. I do promise you that at some point, we're going to mess it up. In fact, you, all you got to do is go two chapters to see that the early church messed it up. There was fussing and fighting right there at the beginning because we're humans. But I can tell you that you won't get what I'm talking about if you don't stick your foot in the water and give it a shot. Become a part of the people of God. Devote yourself to each other. And let's see what God might do. We responded to a chaplain call at the hospital this past week. A lady had uh, lost her husband. They were on vacation from another state. It was just the two of them. Out of nowhere, the husband died. The call was, come to the hospital because we have a person... Who has nobody here. And this is the situation. So I called Leanna and Al. And I said hey I need you guys to go with me. So the three of us met at the hospital. And we went into the room. And we just loved on an older lady. Who was all by herself. Mourning her husband. Who was lying in the room. And, and I had a lot of different thoughts. But one of those thoughts was. I'm so grateful that I could call two people so that I didn't have to do that alone they didn't even blink It said what time you want me there uh, now we're on our way I was also struck by how different the scenario would have been had we not been given the opportunity to be there and to love on this lady you don't want to go through that stuff alone. And you don't want to do ministry alone. Because together, God does so much, so much more. Amen? If you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. I, again, I want to invite you to just plant your life here with God's people. I want to invite you to let God stretch you. To let God teach you. And to let God use you. In just a moment, we're going to have a a chance to, to, to demonstrate what the power of the church truly is. It's one person walking with, walk with another person and another person to do what Jesus said, and that is, be the light of the world. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness and your kindness. I thank you, Father, for your, your grace to us. Lord, I do pray that you would remind us that you're, you're a God who has passed on to us the responsibility of ushering in your kingdom. So, Father, as your church, may we be the light of the world together. For your name's sake.